0: Good morning. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here and it's awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you joining us online. Uh, if you're in a parent viewing room, that's a great option. If you have small children, you prefer to keep with you during the service. And this is just one of our global partners, uh, Dominican Republic, uh, Ramos Vivas. It's been a great partnership for us and they're doing incredible things in the Dominican Republic. And uh, if you're interested in going on that trip, you can go into your church center app, go to the events and sign up for that info meeting. Going to the info meeting doesn't sign you up for the trip. It's just, hey, I want to get more information. If you even think you might be interested in joining that team, sign up for that under events, and uh, and then that will give you all the information you need to make a decision about uh, going on that trip and participating. And that's just one of our global partners. Uh, There's so much that we love to do around the world, uh, right here in our own community with both global and local initiatives, and we love to highlight some of those things. So if you're interested, sign up for that info meeting. The other thing I want to mention real quick is uh, this is our last weekend of two services. Happy Labor Day week. Weekend. Uh, next week we go to three services and not just adding one but shifting the times. So if you don't want to see the uh, you know be really, really early or really really late, uh, you need to know this information, right Eight next week, 8 a.m, 9:30 and 11. 8, 9:30 11 and uh, just make that shift in your schedule. invite a friend. we're kicking off our marriage series next weekend. <laughs> Excuse me, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And then Right after this service, just like every service, uh, if you'd like to learn more about Westbridge, maybe you're just kind of, maybe today is your first date, and we're going to do some speed dating right up front. We call it Five and Five, Uh, Five Things About Westbridge Church in Five Minutes or Less, and uh, it's just a great way to connect, uh, answer any questions you might have, learn more about the church, so you can join us right after service for that. Now, we are wrapping up this series today called You Matter. And the whole uh, kind of uh, the, the driving force behind this entire series has been this thing that Jesus told his disciples. In the very first century, Jesus is with his disciples. And here's what he says to them. Jesus says, I will build my church And not even death will be able to overcome it. And that word church literally means a gathering or a group or a movement of people. It doesn't mean a building. It means a group of people, a gathering of people, a movement of people. And he's going to build it around this idea that he is God come in the flesh. He is the promised one that's come from God to set up a brand new kingdom here on earth. And so Jesus just said, here's what's going to happen. Guys, your entire generation is going to come and go. You're going to die. The next generation will go, but the movement will continue. Generation after generation, not even death will be able to stop this thing that I'm building. And what I love about that is Jesus predicted us. You and I are the fulfillment of that prophecy. And that means that you matter. And that means that the church matters because you and I are the church. So over the last several weeks, we've been walking through this. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you missed any of those weeks, week one, just, man, engage, engage, engage. Uh, the second week, say yes to a serving team. Last week, God owns all the Skittles. And so if you missed that, you're, gonna, you're like, what does that mean? You got to go watch it. Uh, and then today, we're going to wrap up this series, and we want to be reminded that our community matters. Our community matters, our engagement with one another. And here's why. At its very core, this is what we're created for. We were created by God for authentic community. This is what we were designed by God to experience, that we would have a a, a authentic community, a, a connection with God and with others. We were created for loving community with God and other people, both vertically and horizontally. And that in that, we would experience the fulfillment of all that we were created for when we have community with God and community with others. And we need that Well, if we're honest, we've lost a little bit of a sense of community in this culture that is somewhat a selfie-crazed culture, right? As technology sweeps us forward in the name of progress, uh, maybe we're losing a little bit of our sense of meaningful community face-to-face. Isn't it ironic that one of the most popular words in our vocabulary is the word selfie? That's not even a real word. And yet, here's what's amazing. We all know what a selfie is. And if you don't know what a selfie is, I'm so glad you're here. We love when Amish people visit us. That's fantastic. Great to have you. But a selfie, like, is when you point the camera at yourself and you take a picture of yourself. Think about that. When phones first added a camera on them, when, 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 when it first came out and there was a camera on the phone, it was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. But what, what did we have to do? Well, we had to, like, go like this. And so somebody was like, man, I, I, I can't see the picture of myself that I'm taking of myself. I can't see myself while I'm taking a picture of myself. And so somebody was like, no, let's put a camera on this side too. And now you can actually see yourself while taking a picture of yourself. And you know what our response was as a culture when that came out? It wasn't like, that feels a little excessive, guys. It was like, finally, meet me halfway. I can't be like doing this all the time, you know. We just, we embraced it. But what if our obsession with self is costing us relationally in a deep way? Because we were not created to live that way. We were created by God to exist in a loving community with God and with others. And I will be the first to admit that pursuing community with God, it's not, simple, it's not as simple as just, you know, adding a little fiber to your diet, right? In fact, I would suggest for many of us, when we talk about oh man, there's an upcoming season of small groups here at Westbridge Church, and we talk about this idea of like joining into the community and, and connecting with other people, that it can feel like another obligation in an already packed schedule. That's what it can feel like. And yet, what if I told you that not only did God create you for community, but he's been pursuing community with you from the beginning. He wants to have relationship with you. This is so incredibly fundamental for us to understand. It's so important. Community isn't something that God thought up. It wasn't just like a good idea. It's not like God was just this lonely being sort of wandering around the cosmos hoping to make friends. God is community. It's who he has always been. And in the creation narrative in Genesis, we discover God is creating. He's speaking into existence everything that we now see. And then we come across these verses where God talks about Creating human beings. And listen to, listen to what God says. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Look at, look at all the plural pronouns. He doesn't say, let me create human beings like me to be like me. He says, us and our. And this is a, there's a plurality to who God is. I mean, think about it. What we discover through the scriptures is God doesn't just think community is a good idea for us. It's who God is at his core. And then we are created in his image. So we bear in our DNA the marks of a God who is community. We can't escape it. It's what we were created for because we were created in his image. You can think about it like this. God is love and God is community. But there's a difference between love and community. Love can be one directional, but community has to be reciprocated, doesn't it? See, I can love someone and I can do all kinds of things to express my love to them. But if it isn't reciprocated, then it really isn't community. (laughs) And the truth is, love has to be returned for it to be community. And God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see this throughout the scriptures. God exists as three beings who are constantly giving and receiving love. God exists in community, And then in his love, he invites us into that community. He creates us and puts his DNA in us. We're we're created in the image of this communal and loving God. There's a Franciscan monk named Richard Rohr who calls this the divine dance, that God exists eternally in Father, Son, and Spirit, and constantly giving and receiving love is this divine dance, and we have been invited into the dance. Uh, A community, then, is not a burden to bear. It's coming alive to who we've always been, who we've been created to be. But one of the most significant ways that we experience community with God is in community with other people. In fact, in many religions, the, the deeper, you know, the, 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 the more uh, close that you get to God, you, you get further and further away from others. You become the, uh, the, the shaman, you become the monk, you become the guru that is separated from the people and they're the expert that spends time in isolation. But in in the Jesus way of living, the more closely connected you are to God, the more deeply entrenched in community with others you become. There's an old Ethiopian proverb that says, fish discover, water last. And the problem is not that water is too distant. The problem is it's so plentiful that they're unaware of it. It's around them so much they're not even aware. And perhaps it's not that God is distant, but that he is all around us all the time in showing up in us in the lives of other people. And we've simply never known anything else. We have to learn to recognize him showing up in the faces of the people that he's put into our lives. One of my favorite artists is a guy named John Mark McMillan. He wrote a song called Magic Mirror, where he says, God shows us himself in the faces of other people. It's like a magic mirror reflecting God's image back to us. In fact, as you know, being connected with others is actually good for your health. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, you should should at least, at the very least, intentionally dive into community. It's good for your health. A researcher named Robert Putnam did a study on the effects of community and isolation on human beings. And he concluded that isolated people are three times more likely to die than people who are embedded in community. I don't know how he got to that, but that's the conclusion he came to. Not just that, he said this, people who had bad health habits, smoking, unhealthy eating, obesity, alcohol consumption, but strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, exercise regularly, eat healthy, but they're isolated from others. So uh, you could say it this way, it's better for you to eat a Dairy Queen Blizzard with friends (laughs) than organic kale chips and hummus on your own. It's healthier for you. Think about that. You're welcome. They did another study, and people were willing to be infected with the common cold. Just go ahead and infect me with the common cold. People with strong emotional and relational connections did four times better fighting off the illness. And relationally connected people were less susceptible to the virus. They had less virus. They overcame it more quickly. And I don't even know how they measured this, but they produced significantly less mucus than isolated people. You could say isolated people are literally snottier than connected people. And Putnam said, if you make no other changes, if you don't start working out, you don't start eating better, you make no significant changes to the way that you live your life, but you join a small group when previously you had not been in a small group, you cut your, the odds of dying this year in half. And so next week, our group of catalogs comes out, our catalog for small groups. So we've been tossing around a new slogan, join a group or else. (laughs) We're still kind of, you know, test marketing that. We'll see how it goes. But all these are simply documented positive effects on your physical well-being, Think about your emotional well-being, your mental well-being, right? Think about, think about just your spiritual well-being. We cannot escape it. You and I were created in the image of a communal and relational God. And so this desire for community is hardwired into our DNA. Like water, like oxygen, we crave it and we need it. And so with all that in mind, I also recognize this. When you come to a church and they're like, join a small group, sometimes that can feel like a lot. And you're like, "Eh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'm trying to see what kind of a cult you guys are. And that's fair. But here's the reality. There are some things. It's not as easy as just going, yeah, I'll join a small group and I'm going to meet my bestie and everything's going to work out. There's some obstacles to being involved in community. There's some truths that go along with being connected with other people. And the first truth is this. uh, Authentic community always requires intentionality. In other words, you will never drift into authentic community. It doesn't happen like that. You're never just going to walk along one day and and bump into somebody in the lobby, and then it's like, did we just become best friends? It doesn't work like that. Authentic community is not an accident. And authentic community is not the same thing as proximity. Proximity is when you're next to somebody, right? Community is about someone who fully knows you and fully loves you. They know the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they still love you. They still accept you. That's what it means to be in community. Proximity is what I have when I'm getting my hair cut and the person is getting a haircut in a chair next to me. What we have is proximity. What we don't have is community. Big difference. And if you're going to experience authentic community, then you have to commit to it. You have to commit to it. You have to intentionally carve out time out of your schedule and say, I am going to Make this happen. I'm going to sign up for a group. I'm going to show up for a group, and I'm going, to, I'm going to jump into it. I'm going to be intentional about it. And here's why this matters. When you drift from people of faith, you drift from faith. When you drift away from people of faith, you drift from faith. It's other people who are moving in the same direction as us spiritually that help us move forward in our walk with Jesus. Jesus. We need people in our lives that can push, pull, prod, help, encourage. I hit those moments. You hit those moments where we need other people. And we have to be really intentional about creating environments for people to connect relationally. Otherwise, all we end up with is a great show here on Sunday mornings. And when you drift from people of faith, you drift from faith. If you feel isolated from the body of Jesus, you will eventually feel isolated from Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And if you're not connected in a part of the body of Christ, eventually you start to feel isolated from Jesus himself. This is why some of you maybe left church at one point and kind of put God in the rearview mirror and said, I'm not going back to that. Maybe for some of you, it's why you're coming back to church after a long time away. You just slowly got isolated from the body of Christ. And your thought process was this, but I still believe. I I still believe in God. I still believe in Jesus. I still believe in the Holy Spirit. I'm still a believer. But what Jesus asks us to do is not simply to believe, he asks us to follow. There's a difference between, between I believe and Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And he wants us to be a follower. And it's tough to do that if you're not engaged with other people who are following Jesus as well. And over time, what happens? Eventually, you stop believing. There's no logical explanation for it other than when you drift from people of faith, you drift from faith. But if you're going to experience someone who knows you and loves you, knows everything about you, and loves you in spite of it, you have to actively pursue it. You have to participate in it. Acquaintances are the result of circumstance. Yeah, we share a cubicle together. Uh, We were thrown together, you know, somewhere along the way. And it doesn't mean those people can't become friends, but oftentimes acquaintances are the result of circumstance. But friendship and community is the result of choice. You have to commit to it. And that's why we do groups. That's why we talk about it, uh, to give you the opportunity to engage in relationships with people who are moving in the same direction as you spiritually. Now, in the very first century, this is encouraged throughout the scriptures, in the very first century, a letter was written. uh, In our Bible, we call it the book of Hebrews. It's actually a letter written to the Hebrews. And it's written to Hebrew people in the first century to say, look, you've grown up in Judaism. You've grown up in this way of thinking, but now Jesus has put something brand new into place. And so this is what it looks like to live out the Jesus way. And we discover, the author of uh, this letter to the Hebrews, Here, there's some application for us today. Here's what the writer says. Let us hold tightly. Let us cling to it. Let us grab on. Let us not let go. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Well, what's the promise? The promise is this, that one day all things will be as they should be. That's the promise. One day, all that, is, all that is messed up in the world, all that is broken, all that is uh, pain, all that is disease, uh, all that is uh, mental health and struggles and uh, isolation and uh, all that is, that we struggle with in this life, all the doubt, all the hurt, all the baggage, uh, all the relational difficulty and trauma, all, the, everything, that one day, here's the promise, one day, all things will be as they should be that everything will be set right, that everything will come under the loving lordship of Jesus. And the writer says this, let's not not lose sight of that. In fact, let's cling to that. Let's cling to that hope. Let's hold on to it with unwavering determination because we genuinely believe that that day is coming, that God will keep his promise. And then the author shifts and says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. In light of the fact that we want to hold on to this promise, we want to never let go, let's continue to motivate each other to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, here's what the author is saying. This is so important for us to grasp. When he says, let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. He wasn't talking about a Sunday morning church context. It was a context where they met together in homes where they knew everybody around the circle. It was the context of saying, man, there is a day coming. There's a day coming that we're all looking forward to. What's the day in our culture that everyone looks forward to? Friday. Right? We even have a phrase. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. There's a whole restaurant chain committed to celebrating that day. But there's another day coming when all things will be set right. And until that day comes, our mandate as followers of Jesus is to constantly show up in each other's lives, to encourage each other. What does that mean? To encourage someone simply means to instill courage. When I know what Jesus wants me to do, but I still want to do it, well, I'm going to instill some courage in you to do that. To, to, to hold tightly to the promise, to not lose hope, to keep going, to continue to follow Jesus. And folks, I can just tell you, that doesn't happen by accident. You will never drift into those kinds of relationships. You've got to be intentional. You've got to say, I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to, I'm going to intentionally carve out time in my schedule to be available, to put myself in an environment with other people who are moving in the same direction spiritually. And then they're going to help me And I'm going to help them. Now, here's the next truth about authentic community. Number two, it always requires transparency. It requires me to drop my guard and to be myself. Can I tell you something? Everybody's normal until you get to know them. That's just the reality. We're all a little dysfunctional. It's called being human. And a lot of times in a community of Jesus followers, we think, oh, it's going to be great, right? And uh, people are going to be great and they're going to be mature and healthy and they're going to agree with me and they're going to make me feel great about myself. It's going to be so great, and then you get into community with other followers of Jesus, and you go, "They are a hot mess." I thought I thought they were all going to be mature, and no, because we're all dysfunctional. In fact, turn to the person next to you right now and say, "You're a little dysfunctional." Ready? Go ahead. Yeah, that's true. All right, don't tell them why. Some of you got a list. Can I tell you what's amazing about the family of God? Everybody's welcome and nobody's perfect. Everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect. That's why for years, when we first started the church 17 years ago, we were meeting in a movie theater and we said this, hey, uh, come as you are, no perfect people allowed, no making out in the back row. That was kind of our slogan. And uh, judging by how many kids attend this church, some of you disregarded that third one, that's fine. But here's the reality, man, come as you are, No perfect people allowed. That's not a cute slogan that looks good on a postcard. We believe that. You don't have to change anything about yourself to come to Jesus. We genuinely believe. My experience has been God accepts you as is. But here's the thing. He loves you too much to leave you as is. So you come to Jesus and you're like, hey, here's all the stuff Here's all my baggage, here's all my doubts, here's all my questions, here's all my scars, uh, here's all my anger, uh, here's all the stuff I bring with me, all my skepticism, all, everything. Jesus goes, great, I love you, accept you right as you are. And he's patient with us as we move forward. But if you think you're perfect, that, that idea, no perfect people allowed, means we're not actually disallowing anyone, because <laughs> none of us are perfect. And if you think that you're perfect, you're not going to fit in very well around here, because we're just kind of a hot mess. And yet in our brokenness, in our dysfunction, with all of the stuff we got going on, James, the brother of Jesus, instructs followers of Jesus. He says, make this your common practice. Not like every once in a while, like this should be a common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. So this morning, we're all just going to confess out loud. Just kidding. That is not the setting. James is writing about this in the context of people that you're in relationship with, not in the context of proximity. When there's somebody that you know and trust, eyeball to eyeball, that's why small groups matter. They provide you an opportunity to be in an environment where you're fully known and fully loved, encouraged to keep moving forward, to become all that God has created you to be. Being fully accepted with where you're at, but also encouraging you to keep moving forward, to become all that God's created you to be. I love the way that uh, King Solomon says it in Proverbs. He says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, that we actually sharpen each other, and often it is in the raw honesty of togetherness that we become the best version of ourselves. And let me clue you in on something. Uh, If nobody knows what you're really like, then they don't really like you. They like a version of you that is being presented. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a German pastor in Nazi Germany, and uh, he wrote uh, several books. The Cost of Discipleship is a book that he wrote, but he wrote this book called Life Together, and he describes the freedom that comes when you finally get to that point where you feel like you can drop the mask, where you can drop the facade. Listen to this. I think it's so insightful what he says. He says, in confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. In confession, like when I'm willing to just be my authentic self and drop any pretense and drop any facade and lower the mask and just go, here it is, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He says, when you do that, that's the breakthrough where you start to experience true community. The mask you wear before men will do you no good before God. And then he says something so insightful You do not have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers. You can dare to be a sinner. You can dare to be a sinner. And we all are. We live in a world where we're all sinners, and yet oftentimes we want to hide that. We we put on a mask. We want to present a different version of ourselves. There's a silly story uh, that I heard recently about a guy that was desperate for work. And uh, he he went to, uh, there was a job uh, posting for the local zoo, and he went to the zoo, and the zookeeper said, man, time's been hard, and you know, the economy, and we actually lost uh, one of our gorillas recently and we can't afford to replace it but the gorilla exhibit has been a big exhibit for us and so uh what I need you to do is put on a gorilla costume and go out there and just act like a gorilla until we can afford to replace it with a real gorilla And the guy was desperate for work. He's like, that sounds crazy, but, you know, I need the money. So he goes out and puts on his suit. And at first, he's just kind of, he's not really into it. But as a crowd starts to build for the gorilla exhibit, he realizes, man, I could put on a good show here. And so he starts acting like a gorilla and doing everything he thinks a gorilla would do. And he he grabs onto a tree branch and starts shaking it. He's swinging. And then he lets go and he accidentally swung over the wall and landed in the lion exhibit. In a second, the lion pounced on him, and, and he's like, nothing's worth this. And so he starts screaming out, help, help, help. To which the lion responded, shut up, you idiot, or we'll both lose our jobs. <laughs> because everybody's wearing a mask. Welcome to the zoo. We all got a mask on, right? And that's where we live. Everybody's wearing a mask. I'm okay. I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm good. All right. And that doesn't mean you dump everything on everybody you come across. But there has to be somebody where you can go, hey, I'm not okay. Hey, I got, man, I got something going on here, and I'm not okay. And I don't know how to, like, move forward. I just know that I need to share it with somebody. I need somebody to come alongside me, to pull me, push me, prod me, whatever it takes, because I'm not okay. And unfortunately, what happens in a lot of churches, churches become a place where everybody wears a mask. Church has become a place where it's like, I got I to gotta put on a good front. And the, here's the problem. If you feel like you have to put on a facade to be a part of a messy church community, it is only a matter of time before you leave. Because the moment the mask drops, you'll feel like you can't be present anymore. And that's not what we want. Building community means I have the courage to take off the mask and be myself. And I'll be honest, when that happens, when we're all real and and when we're all courageous enough to go, nope, here it is. Here's the full messy me. Then the church gets real messy, real fast. I want to be in a messy church, don't you? I mean, the church was designed to be a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints. And so that's the goal. Like, man, if you're a mess, this is the place for you. But don't pretend. Bring your authentic self. And that's why we work really hard here at Westbridge to keep the shame level low so that we can be ourselves without fear. But that's also why this next truth is so critical. See, authentic community always requires grace. If we're going to be our messy selves, then we have to have grace for each other and for ourselves. And the only way that honesty and transparency works is in a culture that is saturated with grace. And the church in America hasn't always done a great job with that. But what I can tell you is Westbridge Church is committed to that. We are committed to grace. The Apostle Paul would encourage people in the first century with these words. Here's what he writes to a group of people in Colossae. He says, in this new life, and what he's talking about is this thing that Jesus promised to build. I'm going to build my church That word church means not a building, but a group of people. I'm going to build a gathering or a group or a movement of people around this idea that I am God in the flesh come to earth. And so Paul is making reference to that in this new life, this thing that Jesus started. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Here's what Paul is saying. Like, these are groups of people that you would never put together in the same room. You would never put barbarians and Scythians. They're both kind of ruthless groups of people, mercenaries. You would never put uh, circumcised and uncircumcised. You would never put slave and free together in a social setting. Jews did not associate with Gentiles. These are all groups of people that are totally, totally different groups, different backgrounds, different worldviews, different ideologies, different family structures, different habits and practices, and widely varying socioeconomic status. And yet somehow when they got into a room based on Jesus, all of those things went away. And they just had grace for each other because when they came together, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. And so it requires grace for us to intentionally come together in community and drop the mask. When that happens, it's messy. So we've got to have a lot of grace. And when two people experience the same grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ they are becoming friends no matter who they used to be that's what unites us it allows us to be friends with people we would never befriend in the past and one of the biggest myths that's sort of perpetuated in our society is that authentic community is something that you have to find like you have to discover it like it's out there it's waiting to be found And the thinking is as long as you find the right person or you join the right group or you get the right job or you become involved in the right church, you will experience community. And this is why so many people go from relationship to relationship and city to city and job to job and church to church looking for the thing that's just the perfect fit for them. Like the idea is that real community, it exists out there somewhere and we just need to tap into it. And it's not something you have to work at. In fact, if you have to work at it, that's how you know it's not real community at all because that should just come naturally. And the thinking runs so deep that people take this into all aspects of their life. If you have to work at relationship in your marriage, it's possible then that you just must not be right for each other. This is the thinking. If you have to work at community where you're employed, then you just have the wrong boss or the wrong culture or the wrong employees and co-workers. If you have to work at community in your neighborhood, then you just picked the wrong subdivision. If you have to work at community with people at church, then there's obviously problems with the church or the culture or the leadership. Because genuine and authentic community just comes naturally, right? Wrong. Community is not something you find. It is something that you build. It has to be cultivated. What you long for isn't about finding the right mate, finding the right job, finding the right neighborhood, or finding the right church. It's about making your marriage, your workplace, your community, your neighborhood, your church, everything that God intended. See, it's not something that is discovered. It is something that is forged. It's something that is built. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes time. But it's worth it because of what we have in common. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. And so then Paul says this to this group of people who have experienced this new life in Jesus, the grace of Jesus. He says, now, in light of all that, this is going to impact how we treat one another in that community. Here's what he says. He continues and says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Well, Paul, if, if community just comes naturally, then why would we need all these things? Because it doesn't. It's forged, it's work. He says, make allowance for each other's faults. Oh, I thought this was just going to be easy. No, no, no. Paul says, it's messy. You're going to make allowance for each other's faults because they're going to mess up a bunch and you're going to mess up a bunch. And forgive anyone who offends you. Wait, I'm going to be offended? Oh, yeah. And then when you're offended, you're going to forgive. Why? Because you remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Not because they deserve it, but because that's what God extended to you. And you are to extend to others what God has extended to you. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. This doesn't mean you give up your identity and community. Unity is not uniformity. Harmony is, and we're all doing different things, but we're singing the same song. That's what harmony is. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Jesus community doesn't mean you get to be with people who are easy to be with. Jesus community means you are committed to being with people who have been forgiven by Jesus, just like you. And together we help each other move forward as we become more like Jesus to the world around us. Here's the fourth truth about community. It always, authentic community always provides hope. When you get to that point where you go, okay, I'm going to be intentional about this, I'm going to dive in, I'm going to make it happen, I'm going to commit to a group of people, and then in that group of people, I'm going to drop my guard, I'm going to be my real and authentic self, and I'm going to give and receive grace in the process, when you get to that point, there's so much hope in that. Do you know one of the most hopeful phrases in all of the English language is this phrase, me too. You know why? <laughs> when you discover that someone else has been where you're at, and then you see them come out the other side, something comes to life inside of you. Something that says, man, if they made it through, so can I. Last weekend, a bunch of guys from Westbridge uh, did a 100-mile bike ride. Man, it was so easy for 90 miles. Last 10 miles, I'm telling you, for me personally, not so easy. That's an overstatement, but I'm exaggerating. But the last 10 miles, I hit a wall. I mean, the last 10 miles, the only way I could pedal was by dropping the weight of my leg muscle down on the pedal. It's just like, oh, man. And you know what I had? A group of guys, I would not have made it without a group of guys going, hey, come on, you got this. Hang in there. Hang in there. You got this. You, you know, I, I, I felt that way, too. You know, me, too. You, you're you're going to make it. And I'm telling you, if it wasn't for that, I'd still be laying on the side of the road in Rockford right now. Today. We need each other. The Apostle Paul would say this, all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer. And all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Man, in other words, me too. We're in this together. When you're down, I'm down. When you're doing well, I'm doing well. You yelled at your kids this week? Me too. You yelled at them this morning? Me too. Wow, we're in the same boat. Oh, you have questions about the Bible? Me too. Oh, you lose your temper sometimes? Me too. Oh, you tried to pray this week and you fell asleep? Me too. You destroyed an entire bag of Doritos by yourself at 11 p.m.? Me too. Authentic community always provides hope because there's somebody by your side going, yeah, me too. You're not alone. We're in this together. I I want you to know we believe this So we believe this is so fundamental that we do this with uh, every age group here at church starting at two years old. Two-year-olds have a small group on Sunday mornings. Now, I don't know exactly what goes on in a two-year-old small group. I'm gonna be honest with you. But here's what we want. We want kids that, see, we just have this idea that our job here at, at Westbridge Church, when it comes to you as parents, is to, is to just back you up and to partner with you and set the anchor of God's love deep in the heart of your kids from an early age. And I, I would love it if your kids grow up and it's just like, I mean, yeah, we, we sit eyeball to eyeball with other people in community and in relationship and, and we help each other. Like, to, to, nev- to never even think that life isn't about that. So from two years old on, we just go, put them in small groups. Once they're able to talk, And and I don't know that those two-year-old small groups are even all that productive, but it's building a a habit and a pattern into your kids where they go, it's normal for us to sit eyeball to eyeball with another human being and help one another grow. We do it with sixth and seventh and eighth graders every Sunday morning. Every Wednesday, sixth to twelfth graders take over this building. And you know what they do? Worship and teaching and small groups. And they go, let's talk. Eyeball to eyeball about how do you take this thing that Jesus is doing in your life and how do you live it out, sixth grader? How do you live that out, eighth grader? How do you live that out, 11th grader? Because we wanna go, man, this matters. So here's what I'm gonna tell you. Next week, our catalog of groups comes out and I would ask you to join a group. And some of you should lead a group. And all of our groups open up next week and if you're interested in leading one, let us know, but you should definitely sign up for one. You will never drift into authentic and meaningful community with other people. You have to intentionally take a step. And here's what that looks like. You sign up, and then you show up. It doesn't begin when you sign up. It begins when you show up. So it's a two-step process. Sign up and show up. You will never regret that investment. And that's what you were created for. By God, to exist in loving community with Him Him and one another and every single one of us from the first human beings to every one of us today at some point said god thanks but no thanks i got this and you don't need a bible verse to to tell you this even though there's plenty of them we recognize from our own life experience it caused brokenness between my relationship with god and my relationship with others so at the right time in human history, God sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus came into the world and said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start something that's gonna restore that, a movement of people that will be connected to God and connected to each other, living life in a brand new way. Built around love. In the ultimate expression of love, Jesus allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. And here's what that means. Death is not the end. There is more to life than this life, and you have been invited to come as you are And say, yes, I want to be a part of God's family. And if you'd like to say yes to that invitation, just agree with this simple prayer. Jesus, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times I've walked away from you. I'm so grateful you never walk away from me. And I want to say yes to your invitation. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to follow you and your way of living as best as I know how from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we go today, uh, we want to celebrate communion together. You should have received one of these on your way in. If you didn't, raise your hand, and uh, we'll make sure and get one into your hands. But this is significant because as we wrap up this series and as we uh, talk about community, we get the word communion and community from the same root. And it's, it's fitting because of what it represents. This represents the sacrifice of Jesus. And this is the one thing that we all have in common. In spite of our various differences and backgrounds and uh, worldviews and, you know, family upbringing and all those things, the one thing that unites all of us is the sacrificial love of Jesus. Now, you don't have to be a member here at Westbridge to participate in this with us. If you're a follower of Jesus, this has rich symbolism. If you're still exploring faith, then I'd encourage you to just observe But if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd encourage you to participate. And here's what this means. It's very simple. It was never meant to be an elaborate ritual. It was meant to be a daily trigger for us to be reminded of the sacrificial love of Jesus. And Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, he gave it to them and said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. And every time that you receive this, remember that sacrifice. And so today, as we remember the sacrificial love of Jesus through his broken body, let's receive the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this represents my blood, which be poured out for you, and a new covenant between God and humanity. And so as we remember the sacrificial love of Jesus through his spilled blood, let's receive the cup together. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus into this world. It's the one thing that we all have in common. It's the one thing that unites us. It's the grace of Jesus in each of our lives. And so, may we commit to being the body of Christ. May we commit to relationship. May we have the courage to drop the mask and drop the facade and be our true, authentic selves that you've created us to be, as messy as that can be. And may we give and receive grace through that process. And as we do, let our light so shine to a community around us that our acts and our deeds and the way that we live and the way that we love point people to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.